Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM. Progress Channel 127. This is U2 and the Soweto Gospel Choir. In case you can't afford a ticket to go see him play in a giant screen ball in Vegas, I'm John saying, Welcome to Tell Me Everything, the little show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Our thanks to the great Dean Obadala for being such a wonderful lead-in. We thank Dean and his entire team, and uh, thanks, Dean, for having me on your wonderful show tonight. It was really, really a blast to speak with you. Now, if you were enjoying Dean's show, this is the part of the evening where I, I drag things down to, to our level. I apologize in advance. But for the next three hours, we're going to be bringing you a lot of information and empathy and facts and talking points to remember when debating your right-wing racist loved ones and maybe just maybe bring you to the the brink of entertainment we have a very special one tonight our good friend bob seska go will be here uh bob seska go is his twitter handle bob seska is his name he's going to talk about robert kennedy jr's campaign to get donald trump re-elected president because that's all it is that's all it should be referred to the wonderful rula jabril returns to discuss, well, uh, the conflict in Israel and Palestine and the very interesting lies of very different types of religious fanatics overseas and domestically. This war is raging. It is so frightful and it is a depressing time. We would love to get your thoughts. What is giving you hope? What is keeping you up at night? And what do you think a solution might look like? Let's uh, let's get to it. The great Chris Household is our executive producer. The wonderful Thea Harper is our producer out of Brooklyn. Let me tell you guys, this Friday night show is going to be a blast. We'll be doing some of our show live from L.A. We're also going to feature our brand new interview with Ken Burns, one of our greatest living filmmakers, perhaps our greatest documentarian. His new movie is about the American buffalo, but it's really about the American people both the indigenous folks who were here first and then the European settlers who replaced them and both groups of people's very different relationship to the land and nature. This might be Ken Burns' best movie. And I'll tell you, the first part of the American Buffalo film is so upsetting 
so horrifying. My, my wife had to get up and leave the room at one point. And then, I mean, it takes you to emotional places you're not ready to go to. And then the second half of it is really about the dawn of the conservationist movement and how a species that millions of Americans thought was already extinct were brought back from the brink by the best of American humans. It, you've never seen a Ken Burns movie that will take you on this kind of emotional roller coaster. It's so worth it, and it's a great interview. Let's get to it, and let's do a show. Whew, there's so much to get to. Israel has now agreed on the formation of a unity coalition government, which is seen as a necessary step in keeping Benjamin Netanyahu's far-right cabinet ministers in check during wartime. Of course, this is what happened in America. After 9-11, we were all told that our government would be unified. We all had to get behind our right-wing president and do whatever he said, and we know how well that turned out. The Israel government is implementing a complete siege on Gaza, and Gazan civilians have nowhere to go. Netanyahu's telling them to leave, but they can't leave. They are sealed off. They are trapped. Two and a half million people, half of them children, and they can't go. The bombs are dropping, and national security experts now believe they will launch a ground invasion of Gaza. We'll be talking about all angles of this tonight. Also, George Santos, the face of the Republican Party, the man most qualified to be their Speaker of the House, now has 23 new superseding indictments in his fraud case. He's going to be formally arraigned on October 27th. Supreme Court heard oral arguments today in a case claiming South Carolina's first congressional district was unfairly gerrymandered, like so many others, to disenfranchise black voters. Guess who is the congressperson for South Carolina's first congressional district? That would be Congresswoman and soon to be former Congresswoman and future lobbyist Nancy Mace. And thousands are dead in Afghanistan after several days of strong earthquakes and aftershocks. Again, we want to say hello to all of our folks listening live. We'd love to hear your thoughts on everything going on tonight. And hello to everyone who's a day walker. All y'all listening on the app, on demand, on the Fugelsang podcast. Uh, please write to us anytime or, you know, stay up some night and call us. The big show is going to be next Saturday. It might seem like the wrong time to have a comedy show about politics. I'm afraid I don't think there's been a better time for a comedy show about politics all year. Next Saturday night in Beverly Hills at the Saban Theater on Wilshire, just off La Cienega. It'll be the only performance of Stephanie Miller's sexy liberal comedy tour of the whole year, featuring Stephanie, House Sparks, Frangela, and me. Our special guests we can announce include Rob Reiner, Glenn Kirshner, MSNBC legal analyst and friend of the show, star of Beauty and the Beast, Hellboy himself, the great Ron Perlman. I can't believe Ron Perlman's going to be on stage with us. If you can't make it out to L.A., don't worry. You can see the whole thing on pay-per-view. I think it's only 20 bucks, and uh, it's going to be a riot. You can get the tickets to that at sexyliberal.com or at meathook.com slash live and look up uh, the Sexy Liberal Tour. We'd love to have you with us. Right now, before I talk about Republicans and their lies about Biden and their lies about themselves, I want to play a bit of Joe Biden, who has condemned this atrocity on an appalling scale. His words, the attack of Hamas. Here he is today speaking to American Jewish leaders. This was quite a speech. In this bit, the president offers more thoughts on the sheer scope and terror. So no one can be confused of where his administration stands on the attacks on Israel. We continue to monitor the situation in Israel very closely, and the vice president and I and the Buckelmai security team spoke with the Prime Minister Netanyahu again this morning, and I'll be speaking about this this afternoon during my meeting with the Jewish American leaders. This attack has brought to the surface the painful memories and scars 
led by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide against the Jewish people. And this moment, we have to be crystal clear. There is no justification for terrorism, no excuse. And the type of terrorism that was exhibited here was just beyond the pale, beyond the pale. As I said yesterday, my commitment to Israel's security and the safety of the Jewish people is unshakable. The United States has Israel's back, and we're going to be working on this all through today and beyond. Now, if you ever get down about the lies you're hearing about Biden being soft on Hamas or not supporting Israel enough or hating Jews or whatever bullshit the right wing bubble wants to throw at you, I recommend Googling his speech today. And he's talked about how, yes, Israel has to defend itself, but he's also been urging against seeing Palestinian militants as reflective of the entire Palestinian cause. He confirmed today that 14 Americans have been killed in the Hamas terrorist attack, adding that the group has also kidnapped U.S. citizens. We'll be talking about the conflict more, but right now, let's go from Joe Biden showing leadership in a difficult time to a complete lack of leadership from the chaos agents that are the Republican Party. It's a good time for chaos agents. They take advantage of chaos. People who have nothing in their pockets to offer you to make your life better will thrive when there's chaos and violence. Hamas, Netanyahu, Putin, Trump, and the Republican Congress. I want to start by saying I'd like the media to stop calling today's Speaker of the House contest as Steve Scalise versus Jim Jordan, okay? No, you you, you could call it I, I guess the, the, the I don't know, I, I would call it David Duke without the baggage versus the wrestler molester protector. That one's pretty good. Uh, and again, it's what's necessary. The deal is this. After nine days of chaos, after the sudden downfall of Kevin McCarthy, which was only predictable if you've paid any attention at all to how these guys operate, the Republicans came a little bit closer today to finding their next speaker. And they chose Steve Scalise over Jim Jordan in a very closely contested vote that was private and behind closed doors. Scalise is McCarthy's longtime number two. And of course, Scalise and McCarthy hate each other so much they could they could both sing lead in Oasis. That's how much they hate each other. Now, Steve has a tricky math problem. He's got to get 217 votes when this race goes to the floor. And as of now, he don't got it. There's a few Republican congressmen who have plans to back other candidates. It could be a gigantic mess at a time when we can't approve any funds for anything, when we don't have a Speaker of the House. Again, to win the party's nomination, Scalise just had to get a majority of votes. But if he wants to survive this roll call vote in the full House, where every Democrat will be voting for Hakeem Jeffries, he's going to have to get almost unanimous support from every Republican to get the Speaker's gavel and get the House working again. And we've learned this year, if there's one thing Republicans hate more than Democrats. It's it's each other. I mean, the vote today was 113 to 99 against Jim Jordan. And Jim Jordan was backed by Donald Trump. The media is not really spinning this as a huge rebuke to Donald Trump. But 113 House Republicans voted against Trump's boy. And a humiliated and terrified Jim Jordan is crying out for someone to come help him. But karma, uh, karma looked the other way. Let's see how it feels, Jim. Now, the congressman who fired McCarthy from the speakership, they're all hard right Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Boberts. Those two didn't vote for it, but Nancy Mace did. And they have all preferred Jim Jordan. They voted for Jordan. Trump said, Endor- go with Jordan. But it didn't happen. 
And would you believe this? The petulant douchebag Republicans, uh, they're not going to fall in line. They refuse to accept defeat. They're going to drag this thing out like one of Donald Trump's marriages. Here's Steve Scalise. Now that he is the Republican nominee for House Speaker, he's already planning his first act, a bill of support and aid for Israel. First, I want to thank my House Republican colleagues for just designating me as the speaker. Obviously, we still have work to do. We're going to have to go upstairs on the House floor and resolve this and then get the House opened again. We have a lot of work to do, uh, not just in the House for the people of this country, but we see how dangerous of a world it is and how things can change so quickly. Uh, We need to make sure we're sending a message to people all throughout the world that the House is open and doing the people's business, uh, making sure that we're unequivocally standing uh, in our first resolution uh, that uh, we pass under Speaker Steve Scalise will be to make it clear that we stand with Israel. The McCall-Meeks resolution will be our first order of business. Everybody already knows you stand with Israel. It is posturing, and it is the kind of empty rhetoric you should expect from a guy as impressively evil as Steve Scalise. And, and he really is. Someone told me, don't call it David Duke without the baggage versus the wrestler molester protector. Call it hater versus traitor. And I thought that's pretty good because Scalise is a legendary white supremacist. We'll get to that. Uh, and Jim Jordan's a traitor. But uh, no, they, they both voted to throw out the will of American voters on January 6, 2021. So it's, it's the traitor versus the traitor. Jim Jordan threw his support behind Scalise right away. He even offered to nominate him in the House Speaker vote. But this might make Matt Gates happy. He's fine with Scalise, but a few other hardliners, not so happy. And a number of them, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, who voted for McCarthy, have publicly said they're not going to back Scalise. Again, he needs support from 217 out of 221 House Republicans, if every Democrat votes. Because every Democrat will vote for Hakeem Jeffries, who will probably get the Speaker's gavel in early 2025. You know, you got Max Miller of Ohio. Uh, Troy O'Neill's of Texas, Mary Miller of Illinois, Lauren Boebert of Colorado. They've already said they're going to vote for Jordan on the House floor. So I I guess they want (laughs) Hakeem Jeffries to get the gavel now. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, I like Steve Scalise. I like him so much that I want to see him defeat cancer more than sacrifice his health in the most difficult position in Congress. Oh, wow. That's all the sincerity we should expect from her. Nancy Mace actually told the truth. She said, after saying she didn't know anything, about the accusations of, of turning a blind eye to sexual abuse of college wrestlers by Jim Jordan. She said today, I personally cannot in good conscience vote for someone who attended a white supremacist conference and compared himself to David Duke. I'm like, please nominate the racist or nominate the wrestler molester protector. Either one. Give Democrats something to run on. These are the best two candidates they could get. He he allegedly said to a white nationalist group in the 90s that he was good to vote for because he was like David Duke, the former KKK Grand Wizard and member of the Nazi Party, without the baggage. And by the way, when I say that about David Duke, I'm not trying to imply that all Nazis are Klansmen, okay? And I'm certainly not saying that all Klansmen are Nazis. They're totally different groups. They just admire each other's work. Don't send me angry letters, you right-wing guys. Now, privately... People say Kevin McCarthy's team has really pushed Jordan hard because he hates Scalise. But, you know, uh, Congressman Carlos Jimenez from Florida said he will not back Scalise. Mike Turner, House Intelligence Chair, said he's undecided. Uh, Thomas Massey, who's a huge conservative, came out and said there are at least 20 Republicans who oppose Scalise. Guys, this chaos the Republicans are imposing on your Congress, 
could drag on for weeks more while the world is on fire. And then there's Ken Buck, Freedom Caucus Republican who voted to oust McCarthy, which, you know, we didn't expect to hear this, but he's made some headlines lately. He, he criticized the House impeachment inquiry into Biden. He said there's no evidence tying Biden to his son's business dealings, only because there is none. But today he said in an interview, Ken Buck did, that he refused to vote for Jordan or Scalise because they refused to answer whether Biden won the 2020 election fair and square. He said, if we do not have moral clarity to decide whether President Biden won or not, we don't have the moral clarity to rule in this country. They weren't direct. They evaded the question. I wasn't happy, so I voted present. I pride this show on being fair and biased, and I will always praise Republicans, even when they're wrong about stuff, when they tell the truth. Ken Buck did it. And the thing about Steve Scalise is, uh, you know, my, my, my child always asks me, are there any... Any people I can believe in, who's a hero that I can look to in this country? And every time my child asks me that, I, I always bring up Steve Scalise. But not because of who he is, because of who saved him. Never forget, Steve Scalise is a white supremacist who called himself David Duke without the baggage. He voted against equal pay for women. He has always voted against anything that would help the LGBT citizens of this country and give them dignity or equality. He voted against the Violence Against Women Act. And he voted to make it easier for the mentally ill to acquire guns. And then he was shot by a mentally ill person who easily acquired a gun. And his life was saved by Special Agent Capitol Police Officer Crystal Griner, who is a black gay woman married to a woman. Whenever my son asks me who's a great American, I'll explain who Steve Scalise is so I can tell him about Crystal Griner. And that way... When the right-wing fascists say, make America great again, I can tell my child, no, no, no. Look at Crystal Griner. Look at who she saved. America is already great. Also tonight, I want to talk about the Republicans who've been pretending to be anti-war their whole life, uh, or at least pretending to be anti-war for the last two years. They're not. They're pro-Putin. So they're anti-letting Ukraine defend itself. They're anti-helping a weaker nation defend itself. They've always been pro-war. I mean, Reagan and Bush... H.W. Bush sent troops to Lebanon. They bombed Iraq. They bombed Libya. They invaded Grenada. They invaded Panama. Reagan armed both sides of the Iran-Iraq war. Think about that. We, we, we armed both sides of, of a war that had seven-year-old boys fighting on the front lines. We supported the Taliban, who wound up not being our friends. Reagan illegally armed and funded the Contra death squads in Nicaragua. Bush sent us to war to restore the dictator of Kuwait. And the Republicans were furious after that war that we didn't invade Iraq. And then 9-11 came and they couldn't wait for another war. And we warned them. We said, no, this war is a bad idea. And they hated us for it. How many times do you remember Fox News 20 years ago? All the attacks. Anyone, liberal, conservative, moderate, who opposed George Bush's illegal, immoral, bloodthirsty war against Iraq that was only for the oil. Only for the oil. Never about freedom. They called them terrorist lovers. They called them freedom haters. Oh, my God. Sean Hannity. Everyone was a freedom hater. We warned them. And then we were proven right. And they hated us more. John McCain, who was singing Barbara Ann, the parody, bomb, 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 Iran. They love war. And then Trump comes along in 2015 and says, hey, you were lied to by Bush and Iraq was bad. And boom, the Hogwarts spell was broken. And ever since then, they pretended to be anti-war. And they were retroactively critical of Bush's war in Iraq. They won't credit you for being right, but Donald Trump's lies that he opposed the invasion, well, that's good enough for them. And they talk about how Trump kept us out of war. Trump was anti-war, except he doubled the rate of drone strikes, and he tore up a peace deal 
that Obama and several other countries had made with Iran. He assassinated the general of Iran, uh, Soleimani. He vetoed the Senate's attempts to stop the U.S. funding of the Saudi Arabia war in Yemen, and he bombed Syria. But, oh, Trump's the peace candidate. And so for the last year and a half, Joe Biden has championed funding uh, the, the allies of Ukraine against Putin's bloodthirsty genocidal invasion. And the right, well, they're now pretending, cosplaying, to be critics of the military-industrial complex. But it's always been a lie. They don't want war to defend Ukraine against Putin because they don't mind Putin's invasion. Authoritarianism is their religion. And they had no problem with George Bush's illegal invasion of a smaller country that never attacked us. And now they have no problem with Vladimir Putin's invasion of a smaller country that never attacked him. They just pretend to be anti-war. But now, as Israel is getting ready for a massive ground assault on Gaza, oh, they're changing their tune. And we're going to talk about that tonight. How suddenly the people pretending to be doves are letting their bloodlust come back anew. And Marco Rubio is really okay with the mass eradication of Palestine civilians. And eradication is Marco's words. We have the audio. We have the receipts. We want to hear from you guys all night. We're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We'll be right back with your calls on the great Bob Seska. This is Sirius XM. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. I'm always glad when Bob Seska joins us. Uh, maybe you fell in love with his columns in Salon. Maybe you fell in love, well, uh, with his appearances on Stephanie Miller's show. Maybe you fell in love because you saw a picture of the guy and saw how insultingly tall and handsome he is. Uh, Bob is one of the smartest players in the game, and his podcast, The Bob Seska Show, is one of the best mixes of politics and cool music you will ever hear. Mr. Seska, during a very sad week, it's very good to have you back on our airwaves. Welcome. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it is an immensely sad week, and I'm really hoping there are quite a few Americans who take a lesson from what we're seeing 
not just in Israel and Gaza, but also in Ukraine. I mean, uh, you can loop that into the equation as well, because I feel like way too many of us uh, are kind of fantasizing about this idea about uh, having sectarian violence inside the United States, whether you call it a civil war or some form of politically motivated violence here. Uh, the, The images that we're seeing out of those places in the world right now, it's it's striking because they are areas that look a lot like parts of the United States. Yes. And uh, I hope we take that to heart. What it'll look like if uh, sectarian radicalized factions inside the United States start bombing hospitals and things like that. This is what we can expect. So I, I hope we're taking a lesson. Yeah, uh, well, I know, you know, Donald Trump called Hamas hummus today. So I think the the GOP is right on top of the issues as well as they always can yeah. be expected to be. That's what's, right. what's made me crazy is that we've had this Republican uh, Trump with with 91 uh, criminal charges against him in four separate jurisdictions. Complete chaos in the House because the Republicans are at war with each other. We don't have a Speaker of the House, so no funds can be appropriated to send to Israel. We don't have an ambassador to Israel or several other prominent uh, uh, Middle Eastern nations, including uh, Qatar and Kuwait. We don't even have an ambassador of the uh, Secretary of the Navy right now because of Republican obstruction in the Congress. So it seems like they are really seizing upon lies about Joe Biden and the deal with Iran last month to release five Americans from captivity as an elaborate distraction. I mean, they're all using this, Bob. Putin is blaming Biden for the Hamas invasion to distract from his genocide. Republicans are blaming Biden for the Hamas invasion to distract from their complete inability to govern. And Trump is Mm -hmm. uh, blaming uh, Biden for the Hamas terrorist attack to distract from his many criminal charges. It's really a lot of evil people are in a very good mood. Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to start using or incorporating the word disruption into how the Republicans are behaving with regard to all of this, because I think disruption loops in more of a goal toward chaos, just rank mayhem rather than obstruction which which can some sometimes have like a political motivation behind it like oh we're going to try to bleed them until they concede on this thing or that thing almost as part of a negotiation but with disruption it's disruption is usually done for the sake of disruption for the sake of taking the ant farm and shaking it up just to see the ants go crazy and that's kind of what we've been observing uh in in congress especially now and it's entirely irresponsible in fact I saw a tweet earlier where Mike Pence was going after Joe Biden because of what's happening in Israel and, and Gaza. And uh, and it convinced me, once again, reinforced this idea that I thought about for, my God, the last 22 years, which is that if Al Gore had been president on 9-11, he would yeah. have been impeached before the smoke cleared. Yeah. That's how the Republicans would have handled Al Gore in that role at that time. Whereas, on the other hand, with George W. Bush as president, everyone kind of united around the president. Obviously, there were still a few people, you know, on the fringes criticizing him uh, for his reaction to it and certainly for ignoring that PDB. But that was much later. I think in the the days and and immediate weeks after 9-11, everyone was pretty much behind the administration, at least from the point of view of uniting the country. And we would never see that now. And uh, you know what? Honest to God, we wouldn't have seen it 22 years ago had, uh, as I said, Al Gore been president. Exactly. But you know damn well that if it was a Republican president right now, we'd be hearing nothing from Fox News about the need for American unity during these uncertain times. I mean, we went from you can't question (laughs) Bush. Condoleezza Rice, as national security advisor, oversaw the greatest failure 
of national security in our country's history. No one criticized her, and she got promoted to Secretary of State. Bush, mm-hmm. like Netanyahu, was clearly and specifically warned that this attack was coming, did nothing about it. No criticisms against Bush for that. Uh, we were all told to rally behind him, and he used that goodwill to squander all of it and bankrupt the economy, kill hundreds of thousands, and send home 5,000 troops in a body bag. Yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, can you imagine if there was a Republican in office right now, we'd hear nothing about the need for you, nothing but the need for unity. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the shame of 9-11, and again, we're talking about something that was a couple of decades ago, but it still, still resonates today. The shame of that wasn't just the massive death toll and the tragedy of the terrorist attacks themselves, but it was also that reaction that you were just describing. George W. Bush and the United States president, certainly the presidency of the White House, our, our State Department, the entire uh, functioning of the American government could have been geared toward using that goodwill and creating something positive out of it, maybe yeah. some sort of unified effort to prevent the climate crisis or to gather nations together and find common ground on all of these global issues that we face. And that didn't happen. Instead, it was squandered. It was it was exploited specifically to uh, war game in the Middle East to invade a nation that had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks. And it was just and, and of course, that was all written in stone prior to 9-11 even happening. If we have an opportunity to exploit a Pearl Harbor type of situation, we're going into Iraq. It doesn't matter if they had anything to do with it. So there it is. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. You're right. What do you make of the chaos here in the House, um, Bob? It's yeah. just talk about preventable disasters. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I thought maybe maybe someone in the Republican caucus would stand up and say, maybe we want to uh, nominate someone who's not a hateful seditionist. Maybe maybe just someone who's not terrible. I mean, the Democratic Party can beat up either of these two guys. I, I oh, think yeah. Scalise would be more effective than Jim Jordan. But arguably, Scalise's reputation is even worse than Jim Jordan's. I just can't believe they couldn't find some office furniture to run instead. Yeah, I I think the difference, though, with Scalise, and I'm just looking at this from the perspective of the other Republicans who chose to nominate him today in that closed door session because they're cowards. And that is the fact that he's at least optically not as insane as Jim Jordan. Uh, Jim Jordan, when you hear him talk, when you hear him operate, when you see him operate in committee hearings and so forth, he's, you know, basically performing for Donald Trump. He's one of these guys who tries deliberately to be he's kind of Jim Jordan is kind of like Gary Oldman's character in The Contender. He's that (laughs) kind of Republican politics, always looking for look at me, look at me, look at me, looking for the attention and whatever the insane soundbite is of the day that will go viral on social media, et cetera, where I think Steve Scalise is a little more low key. And even after the Republican caucus voted to nominate Steve Scalise for Speaker of the House today, Jim Jordan's now going around leaking all kinds of information about Steve Scalise to sabotage the whole thing. So true. So get your get your popcorn ready. He said uh, Jim Jordan allies are it says here uh, Jim Jordan allies trying to sabotage Steve Scalise by circulating FEC reports to members showing that he spent over half a million dollars at D.C. Capitol Grill since 2011. D.C. Capitol Grillgate, John. It's another I gate. Mean, but but he's but Jim Jordan's doing this while saying for the sake of almighty unity, he will give a nominating mm-hmm. speech for Scalise. It's just 
These guys can't stand each other. And I swear to God, I swear to you, the Eve Harrington waiting in the wings and all this is McCarthy, who's going to try. I still think there's a chance he tries to get his job back. (laughs) It's like Stephanie Miller this morning was saying that Kevin McCarthy is kind of like an ice cream cone that's fallen on the ground and it's got hair and a penny stuck in it or something. And (laughs) and and that's what they're trying to. Oh, yes. Just eat that ice cream cone again. Try that one again. And so, yeah, that's not going to work. I mean, I know he'll maybe want to do it and he could end up working his way in just as a uh, as a sort of wedge you know if Scalise and Jordan beat the crap out of each other over the next few mm-hmm. days maybe uh, Kevin McCarthy starts to look maybe that ice cream cone with the penny stuck in it and the hair and the dirt in it may start <laughs> to look appealing to the Republicans who knows I mean Steve Scalise is going to need 217 votes out of the 221 House Republicans, right? Because every yeah. Democrat will vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Today, he got 113 votes. And Thomas Massey has said there's at least 20 Republicans who oppose Scalise. This this thing could get dragged out for a long time, Mr. Seska. <laughs> yes, and I'm so there for it. I mean, obviously, I'm embracing the, the chaos of it uh, because theoretically and, and also in actual function and execution, this is very bad. This is bad for democracy. This further reinforces uh, the notion that government is non-functional right now. It's emphasizing everything negative that everyone thinks about government. Ah, those guys in Washington can't get anything done because they're too busy playing grab ass. And, you know, it's just it's the usual thing. And and so from that perspective, it's distressing because it creates more uh, damage of democracy at a time when we're trying to save democracy. Yeah. But, but that said, right. it's, you know, it's kind of fun to watch the Republicans pantsing each other. Just yeah, I agree. Except, except who benefits from this chaos the most in America? It's not the Republican party and it sure isn't the suckers who vote for this party. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Not all Republican voters are suckers. Only the non-millionaires are suckers. Uh, if you're right. a millionaire well, no, and voting Republican, yeah. If you're a millionaire voting Republican, well played. But if you're not a millionaire, you're a mark. <laughs> but this helps Trump. I mean, we are not talking about his mishandling of national security secrets today because we're talking about the chaos of his winged monkeys. Except you're here, Bob. So let's talk about it. Because, again, Donald Trump's criminal trials are not going away. Weisselberg pretty much nailed him to the wall yesterday on lying about the size of his apartment. And uh, the documents trials. I mean, it keep the, yeah. the, his handling of national security secrets literally... They have to keep screaming about Joe Biden gave six billion so they don't talk about the demonstrable fact that Donald Trump literally gave Israeli military secrets away to the Mm -hmm. Russians in the Oval Office. Yes, we have pictures of that meeting, famous pictures of the two Sergeys standing there and Donald Trump regaling them with what he knows because he's so brittle and insecure about the fact that he was president. He has to always uh, exaggerate what he did and he has to uh, embellish everything because he wants people to take him seriously. And that's one of the reasons I think he gave that information away. And imagine if that series of initial attacks, those rocket strikes into Israel the other day and the colossal intelligence failure that allowed that to happen was a consequence of something Donald Trump did with a consequence of his fast and loose relationship with national security secrets. Yeah. And and again, national security secrets that maybe to a certain extent he retained just for bragging rights, just we don't because even he know. couldn't we believe that know. he actually became. Yeah, we don't know. But you know what? In fact, Jack Smith, we heard yesterday that Jack Smith may have a motive 
for this. He may have uh, uh, evidence showing exactly why Donald Trump kept those documents. And so I'd be really interested to know that. It may be something innocuous. It may be that what everyone is saying, that he's a hoarder of uh, tchotchkes and things like that. But I I tend to believe Donald Trump doesn't do I he doesn't do things. Donald Trump only does things if they're going to benefit him in some way monetarily. Everything is a transaction. This is well-worn territory of how Donald Trump operates. So I think what we're going to find out is something a little bit more nefarious than he's just a pack rat and he likes to keep things. And whoops, we mixed up these national security documents with his pants and his ties. No, I mean, we we don't know why. No. And again, I, I'm not going to come out here and accuse Donald Trump of giving away any information that might have helped Hamas, although, you know, Russia, Iran, Hamas, you sort of see how the how information yeah. would get funneled in this scenario. And God knows Putin is out there today blaming Biden for this, just like his minions here do. But yeah. I can talk about the fact that they are deliberately lying about this six billion dollars that was approved first by Donald Trump, who approved Iran's oil sales to Korea. Then the money was frozen and Joe Biden unfroze the six billion dollars only to be used at the discretion of our Treasury Department held in a bank in Qatar for humanitarian reasons for the Iranians. And we got our five Americans out of cages. Now, um, that was a good deal. And not one dime of that money has been spent yet. And we know that this planning was two years in the making. And yet the Republican wish machine has decided that with their new favorite word, fungible. Oh, that's their that's their favorite noun this week with the word fungible, that they somehow were able to use this money in a time machine to fund this operation for two years and plan it, even though the money only went to the bank last month and hasn't been touched yet. Bob, is what I'm saying making any sense? Because these lies are exhausting me. Yeah, well, it makes perfect sense. In fact, you should put that in a tweet thread or something. Everything you just said. And I, I don't because... even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, see, that was a great explanation of the six billion dollars, because what's happening is because there's there's nuance to this and not a whole lot of nuance. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, for yeah. normals, I think we all understand what it's all about. Right. But I think there's enough nuance so that Donald Trump can drive his uh, truck right through it. He loves driving trucks. He loves big trucks. And he's going to drive a big truck right through this open hole in the nuance of this six billion dollar negotiation for the hostages and and, yeah. uh, and everything you just described. And so consequently, they can create all kinds of nonsense built around that. Oh, we just gave Iran Six billion dollars here. Have it. It's taxpayer money. That's what they're saying, that it's your money that you earned going to Iran now, which is now being used by Hamas terrorists to attack Israel. That's not what's happened. That's absolutely. But they are they've got an information silo. They've got this fishbowl and they're able to pump whatever nonsense into that, that that they want to with impunity. There's nothing that allows any sort of pushback on that other other than for us to say, no, that's absolutely wrong. That's gibberish. And yep. that's all we can do. That's all we can do to uh, to counterbalance all of that nonsense. Uh, Bob, I would be most remiss. If I didn't ask you about uh, Donald Trump surrogate Robert Kennedy Jr., who is running for president as an independent because he is helping Trump that much. Statement was put out by his siblings, Rory Kennedy, Kerry Kennedy, 
Joseph Kennedy II and Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, the decision of our brother Bobby to run as a third-party candidate against Joe Biden is dangerous to our country. Bobby might share the same name as our father, but he does not share the same values, vision, or judgment. Today's announcement is deeply saddening for us. We denounce his candidacy and believe it to be perilous for our country. There's a lot of ways you could spin that, but um, it seems like he's not going to win the Kennedy Family Hyannisport Caucus this year. And it, <laughs> no. It, I mean, look, I don't think it's, it's gotten so toxic that now Donald Trump, who was praising him a couple months ago, is attacking RFK Jr. because uh, he realizes that this anti-vax nonsense is eating into his demo. Yes, that's exactly right. That's what they're so concerned about. The fact that Sean Hannity and Donald Trump are going after RFK Jr. now says everything you need to know about how RFK's independent run for president is going to impact this this race. I think that if RFK doesn't take more votes from the Republicans than the Democrats, I think it'll end up being even Stephen. He'll take an even number of votes and it'll be a complete wash from both sides. So I'm not overly Uh. concerned about it especially after his announcement event yesterday with the teleprompter thing and he didn't have the speech and yeah. hell there could well, have been huh? ra- yeah i there, there may as well have been rakes all over the stage and him just accidentally stepping on rakes as he walked out there i mean that would have actually made it much more entertaining than it actually was uh so that i mean just when you start your campaign that way and you're doing it for the first time not a good start to a presidential run And that leads me into my other thing that I've been mentioning time and time again since RFK Jr. stepped onto the stage, along with, you know, Marianne Williamson, Cornell West, et cetera. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, but Marianne is running. Marianne Williamson is running as a Democrat, just to point that out. Yes, Uh, I have no idea why Dr. West is doing what he's doing. And I have theories about RFK, but I just want to clear it. Please go ahead. Well, my idea with all three of them is. Go run for Senate. Go run for governor. Go run for state legislature. Get some experience in government and then talk to us then after that's done, because what they're doing is they're going zero to the White House in no time at all at warp speed. And they can't do that. That's not it's like uh, it's like suddenly RFK Jr. shows up to perform your bowel surgery without ever having any (laughs) practical experience in that field at all and then so what would what would you do i mean if you're laying there they're putting you under and suddenly rfk jr walks in i think i can take care of this are you going to say okay yeah sure we need a fresh face we we need someone who's a surgeon outsider to perform this surgery on me of course we wouldn't say that so why on earth would we allow someone with zero governing experience to have purview over 330 million lives and the nuclear codes it doesn't make any sense and of course we saw a great example of it in the previous presidency for four horrifying years and the ultimate end game of that in experience uh was the final year of the trump presidency 400,000 american lives lost dead yeah. yeah many of those in donald trump's own own constituency so yes that's what that's what you get with dilettantes and political tourists deciding hey look i can be president because anyone can be president if if people want to have a drink with me and i'm folksy i can be president that's wrong that, we yeah. got to disabuse people of that nonsense you know that's that's the whole george w bush mentality he's i mean 
all the suckers who voted for him because he's the guy I'd want to have a beer with, and he doesn't drink beer, Bob. He doesn't drink beer. I just, I just, I know. I can't even with the I can't evens. I I know. And RFK just came out this week once again and said he's not anti-vax. I mean, he's just, you know, the thing that hurts his campaign most is when people pay attention to his campaign. Because in broad strokes, it could seem appealing. Um, I don't see him going anywhere, but I'm just worried between, obviously, between RFK, Dr. West, the the amount of dark money that's going to be flowing into their campaigns exclusively for the seven swing states, because it's seven swing states that decide everything now. Seven states of white people who can't make up our minds decide the world for the rest of us. Um, And then, you know, OPEC... Cutting oil supply so prices go up next year. These are the things mm-hmm. that are scaring me. These are the things that yeah. help Donald Trump. And all the chaos agents are really hoping this can work again. Are you worried about Donald Trump? I, I, I don't think he can become president, but I still want him to be the nominee because I, I'm more scared of other nominees than I am of him. I yeah well I'm worried about the possibility that he could become president. I don't think he will become president. I, I don't just. Either. Uh, And so I'm in this weird sort of phantom zone, John, between being profoundly terrified of the notion of a second Donald Trump presidency because of what that means for American democracy. Yeah. At the same time, I tend to I'm I'm looking at the numbers that I'm, you know, conferring with experts like uh, Christopher Boozy, who did a great job uh, forecasting the 22 midterms. And so in uh, Simon Rosenberg, uh, as another example of someone along those lines, and I'm drawing the conclusion that I don't think he can do it. I, I, yeah. I think his I think his support has reached a ceiling. I don't know where he's going to get more votes because uh, certainly he's not gotten better at, at being on the presidential stage than he was when he was yes, sir. actually president. So I, I don't know how he's going to increase his appeal to the point where he can overcome Certainly what Joe Biden, I think, is going to do as far as uh, as votes in uh, 2024. So Bob, we got to be pretty optimistic about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you so much for joining us. How can our listeners follow you, Mr. Seska? Bob is my podcast. Also, everywhere you get your podcast, the usual podcast platforms. And my Instagram is the Bob Seska. You can follow me there. It's great to see you, sir. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with your calls in a moment. This is progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. (music) 
Welcome back. As the horrific conflict in the Middle East rages after Hamas's attack on Israel, we've now learned from the Times of Israel via an Egyptian official that Israel is readying for a months-long ground campaign in Gaza. This message apparently has been passed along from Jerusalem to Cairo. Uh, the Egyptian official has told Times of Israel that uh, the Netanyahu regime has dismissed Cairo's efforts to mediate any sort of de-escalation, saying that they want to deliver a knockout blow to Hamas before even entertaining the idea of a ceasefire. Now, since Saturday, Israel has dropped hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. Netanyahu has called for residents to leave, but the Gaza Strip, as you guys know, is closed off on all sides. And the people living there, half of them children, have no way out. British-Palestinian surgeon Ghassan Abu Sid told the Independence Chief International Correspondent Bell True that Gaza's biggest hospital is now at capacity. They are running out of supplies like anesthetic medicines and airway tubes for children. He said they had to clean a teenage burns victim with soap because they're out of antiseptic. It is so bad, and it gives every sign of getting worse. I am so pleased to welcome back uh, a guest we truly love here, Rula Jabril, who's an award-winning journalist, foreign policy analyst, and author. She has shared her expertise on Islamic extremism and politics in the Arab Muslim world with MSNBC, The Daily Beast, Newsweek, and Salon. Her best-selling novel, Morale, has been translated into 15 languages, and um, we are always happy to have her when she is on loan from uh, from Italy to join us. Rula, welcome back to SiriusXM. Thank you, John. It's so good to be with you. Thank you. Let me begin with the obvious. What are what were your initial thoughts when you heard about the coordinated attacks and how have you witnessed them evolving over these last few days of violence? John, let me start by saying uh, I, I obviously as as um, today we speak as human being, as but also as a journalist, as an analyst and somebody that's been born into the conflict all my life, you know, I was born in 1973. The Yom Kippur attack was the year when I was born. And to watch this, this is when I, it was not a surprise for people who've been following what's happening. We've been telling the international community that this is coming. We've been begging for a political solution that that can guarantee that this kind of atrocity would never happen. We've been ignored, we've been dismissed, we've been told by our politicians in the United States and in Israel that this can be managed, that somehow uh, it's not really hard to manage millions of people without rights, but also that Hamas somehow, you know, you can deal with them, you can cooperate with them, You you can handle them, that somehow they would be governing and they will be moderating themselves. All these assumptions, delusions collapse before our eyes. But we've been warning about this. Journalists, activists, scholars, Israelis and Palestinians. Today, the world is paying the price of not listening to those voices. Um, and, and when I saw that coordinated attack, I immediately thought of my first work for an American publication. It was an article I wrote for Newsweek uh, when Bibi Netanyahu negotiated with Hamas in 2010 mm-hmm. for the release of Jalad Shalit. And I remember at the time I went, I was sent by Tina Brown at the time, my editor-in-chief, to interview the head of Shabak, the ex, you know, the ser- secret services of Israel, Yaakov yes. Perry. And at that time, I didn't understand why after years Bibi is negotiating now. The timing was suspicious to me. 
uh, obviously I was happy that you know uh, you know somebody was released uh, from captivity. In the same time, we have to ask hard questions. Why Bibi, who always said he would never negotiate, would negotiate? And I remember at that time, the strategy became clear to me. What was Bibi's strategy? And he told me in his own words, this is somebody who was a minister with Bibi, and also he was ex-Shabak, ex-FBI, the head of FBI, Yaakov Perry. And he said, this is Bibi's strategy, to divide the Palestinians in the West Bank from uh, basically Gaza, to undermine the Palestinian Authority, the moderates in the Palestinian Authority, basically destroy them, so they can never be a Palestinian state while cooperating and negotiating and emboldening Hamas. So while Abu Mazen was negotiating with the, with the UN at that time, simultaneously, for some kind of statehood, you know, recognition, statehood, going through diplomatic effort, that's the timing when Bibi decided that that's the right time to negotiate with Hamas and give them basically... 12,000 prisoners in exchange of one soldiers. So they can appear before the Palestinian people as, oh, we got you some results. That guy is not doing anything. That's a strategy and it's been the strategy since then. We've seen him in 2009, 2019, reiterating the same strategy saying, I'd rather cooperate with Hamas and collaborate with Hamas than with the Palestinian Authority just to thwart a Palestinian statehood. And in the same time, his ministers, Ben-Gvir, Smotrich have been saying that Hamas is an asset. Well, guess what? That kind of rationale came back to haunt all of us today. Exactly. And under his watch, we have thousands of people who died. Exactly. For almost 20 years, we have heard uh, this man Netanyahu telling the people of Israel that only he and his militarized approach to things can keep them safe. And it makes me think of America thinking, well, hey, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Let's fund the Mujahideen in Afghanistan until, of course... It led to the Taliban. And you're right. It was Israel's finance minister, not not Iran's, who said the Palestinian Authority is a burden and Hamas is an asset. And we know an asset. At least. I mean, Netanyahu said it in, in 2019, March. It's part of our strategy. As you just said, to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state, we have to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. So this was Netanyahu's plan to have this de facto alliance, Strategy. not for peace, yes. just to prevent a real Palestinian two-state solution. And now we see the results of this. And, and John, if we may add, it's, it's not only that. He built this extremist annexationist government that's been, that been dismantling democracy inside Israel, Exactly. Trying to import from the West Bank the kind of dictatorship. In the West Bank, he wanted a military dictatorship. In Israel, he wanted a different dictatorship, more civilian dictatorship, but he didn't want check and balances. And sadly, the international community, and it pains me to say this in this moment, they basically, you know, if you're a real friend of Israel, a real friend of Israel, this is the moment to tell them hard truths. This is the moment because you don't let your friend commit atrocity as an answer to atrocities, opening the region for a wider conflict. When, when, when I heard President Biden yesterday, perfect, I understand the kindness and empathy and, 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 and we needed that, we needed that. In the same time, what was missing is the two, double strategy that led, led to the killing of Itzhak Rabin, which is I negotiate with the Palestinians who are not Hamas, 
to empower them and give them freedom while I can defeat Hamas militarily. Hamas is not only can be defeated, it's possible to defeat them, but you need to eradicate the idea that Palestinians are so desperate that that people like Hamas can exploit their desperation. You need to erase that. Yes. And how you do that? By a political process. We need a political. You know who did that? Actually, the Americans themselves. We need to understand what America did after 9-11 to learn from the mistakes and not exactly. repeat them, but also to learn from the successes. And the major successes of the Americans when they negotiated in Iraq with the Iraqis. And it was called a Sahwa, the awakening, if you remember. After you know, months, months of bloodshed, years after 600,000 Iraqi died, thousands of Americans, finally, they came with the approach that was the awakening, which to separate the Iraqis, especially the Sunni from Al-Qaeda and the jihadists, and basically help them gain power and sovereignty and, and reinstate them. After the whole idea of debathification, now everybody's talking about dehamasification, de fine. But what comes next, it's even more important. And that's a hard question we need to ask. Yeah. What happened with the debathification? It opened a door for, for basically a civil war and, yeah. and terrorism and, and, exactly. and, and atrocities. But what happened? How did we end that? We ended that not only by going after Al-Qaeda, which is fine. You go after them and you need to go after them. You, you actually reduce the violence by 90 percent, maybe, and even more. And Petraeus was in charge of that strategy by having a political solution with the Sunnis in Iraq, to empower them and give them power, bring them back to the basically to the power structure of Iraq so they could themselves fight the jihadists. That's what, what's missing from Biden approach. And we need to tell the president that without that approach, you are basically condemning all of us for a perpetual war and unfreedom. And I say unfreedom because our subjugation as Palestinians and Israelis is what seemed the only future lying ahead. I want to think of a future for my children, for my, my family who are Palestinians, who are Israelis, who are Jews, Muslims, and Christian, that is beyond a military dictatorship and yes. Hamas fanatic tyranny. Absolutely. Um, you know, Martin Indyk, the former two-time U.S. ambassador to Israel, uh, said, I fear that Hamas's intention is to get Israel to retaliate massively and have the conflict escalate, a West Bank uprising, Hezbollah attacks, a revolt in East Jerusalem. As long as we find it unavoidable to discuss comparisons to 9-11, wasn't that Osama bin Laden's entire strategy? That the response from America would exactly. be so bloodthirsty and affect so many innocents that he hoped to draw the West into a full-scale war with the Middle East. It just seems like a complete replay of that destructive evil strategy. And I see the dominant armed force walking right into it, just like America did two decades ago. I, I agree. Not only that, I remember also the whole idea that, oh, you know, we can crush these people. 20 years on, we have the Taliban's back in power. I just want to remind Americans, 20 years on, uh, basically, the Middle East is totally destabilized. Iraq is a province of Iran. So that, you know, overreaction and vengeance is not a strategy that you can really actually pursue. That's Knowing right. that, uh, and I say this, like, I understand the desire for justice. They deserve justice. They deserve justice. But justice should not become basically savagery and barbarism, because this will create the condition for another 
organization that is even worse than Hamas. We thought Al-Qaeda is horrible. Guess what? ISIS was You're even so right. worse. Even worse. So, right. so again, if we if we learn from our mistakes, we can avoid repeating them. And and one of the things, John, that I always, uh, you know, I hear on social media, all of these calls for, you know, Palestinians are Nazi, we need to eradicate them. Like, of course, if yeah. they voted for Hamas, that they're responsible, they're complicit. Guess what? Bin Laden said the same things about Americans. He said, well, yeah. they chose their government, and thus they are complicit. Exactly. Those are the kind of reasoning and rationales and, and delusions that got us to undermine America itself before the world. Yes. Why? America had the sympathy for the international community after 9-11. We squandered that human capital and sympathy because they overreacted. I remember journalists saying, we need to take a big stick and go home to home. And they didn't think of the next day or how today these same journalists, and I'm talking about Tom Friedman, who writes, let's avoid making these mistakes because we made these mistakes and he even wrote an op-ed that, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the man, but no, I, I, yeah. this op-ed today. Hearing you quote Tom Friedman tells me something has changed. We need a political, something changed because at least he had that intellectual honesty to say, we need to offer moderate Palestinian something to take away the whole equation that in the Middle East, there is a religious war between Muslim and Christian and, and that America is basically backing one side. But we yeah. also, this is the only strategy that can guarantee stability, security and peace for anybody in the region. And then he said, you know, clearly, we need to ask ourselves, what does the enemy want? The enemy wants perpetual war. Of course, they That's want it. that. That's what bin Laden wanted. When America starts relinquishing their ideals and torturing people and kidnapping them and droning them and, and bombing to oblivion certain areas. I mean, Fallujah, I look, I remember Fallujah, as you remember, I remember all of these. How, how do you think the rest of the world looked at America in that moment? I mean, they went from loving the United States and hanging flags on the United States and saying, are you for real? Are you kidding me? What the hell are you doing? America was lost its moral high ground and reputation in the world after those mistakes. You know, Abu Ghraib. I remember the picture of Abu Ghraib. That's right. Do we That's really right. want to go back? And, and, and again, Israel is not America. Israel doesn't have the might of America and the power of America. So mm -hmm. again, I tell my countrymen and women and politicians, please think twice before really committing atrocities and massacres and, 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 and starving people using, you know, food as a starving weapon, as a, exactly. as a weapon, using water as a weapon. Are we, we are basically giving, we are basically telling these terrorists, well, you know what, we will descend with you to barbers and to the abyss. We cannot yeah. afford to do that. You know, we cannot afford so to lose right. our humanity. If that's what they want, because they win when we lose our humanity. They win exactly. when we relinquish our values and throw them out of the window. Yes, but of course, the most dangerous airborne virus is amnesia. And people tend to forget this. No less a pious figure than Marco Rubio took a break from quoting Bible verses on Twitter to go on CNN and talk about the eradication of the people in Gaza, half of whom are children. But but let me let me bring up another 9-11 comparison, because I, I find they don't stop coming. 
we knew that George Bush was warned on August 6, 2001, in a presidential daily briefing that bin Laden was determined to attack within the U.S. And we now know that Egypt had warned Israel three days prior that this could happen. And in fact, the prime minister's office initially denied this. But now multiple Israeli journalists have reported this is a fact. E- even Ehud Olmert, the former prime minister who, who led the country during the Gaza War in 2008, said the failure to see the assault coming was due to the arrogance of the current government. It's really obvious that both Israel and America have these uh, leaders who are trying to use government to make their criminal behaviors go away. Is Netanyahu going to be able to chase away his own corruption and exploit this? Or will this be the beginning of the end and the people and voters of Israel will realize they've been selling the bill so. of goods for a long time? I hope so. I hope so. Clearly, he's try- he's now tweaking all kind of you know, aerial bombing to try to regain his virginity in the eyes of the public opinion. That's I don't know so if he right. will be able to do that. Also, because remember, John, there are three things that happened. He moved three units from the Gaza border to go to help settlers in the West Bank. Hamas exploited a disinformation campaign. They were talking on the phone. And on the phone, they were saying, we're exercising, but, you know, we're not going to do anything. Israel was listening in, and they, they believed them. They believed yeah. the message. They've been exercising and planning for this for months and months. The Egyptians saw it. The Israeli themselves saw it. And they thought, we listened to their calls, and they're saying between them that they're, like, bluffing. They're, like, just doing this to mess with their heads. Yeah. They believed that. That was... And sadly, tragically, an ineffective disinformation campaign that Hamas carried out while preparing for the attack. They knew that during that period, they will be moving some units from Gaza to the West Bank to help the annexation project, to basically help the settler go and, you know, do the rampage, daily rampage in villages and, and, and towns where Hamas doesn't exist. Yeah. Where Hamas doesn't exist. Civilians. And all that does is in, create in new towns terrorists. like Hawara and the refugee camps. Exactly. Yeah. So he decided deliberately, I can manage these Hamas people. I don't believe what they're saying. I'm listening to what they're saying. He basically took to face value what they were telling him on the phone. Exactly. They moved units. He was warned by the Egyptian. He totally dismissed them. This is not only a failure. This is a betrayal as his duty to keep our citizens safe. He failed. But we knew he was going to fail. You know how we know that? Because we always knew that he will put himself first. He will always put himself first. It's not about the people of Israel. It's not about the citizen. It's about defending himself empowering his extremist fanatic in government, giving them whatever they want in their biblical vision of annexation of the West Bank. In the meantime, he took his eyes off the ball in terms of security. That's right. We all and, knew that this, that's why we knew it was coming. And it's so much like that to me, Hamas and Netanyahu have become mirror images of each other locked in this codependent embrace. They're both wartime consulieries. If peace were to break out, both sides would find themselves irrelevant and useless. So they Gone. both need to keep the suffering of their own people perpetuated to consolidate their own power. Both sides are doing the same ploy right now. And I think it's become clear to sane people that there is no violence-based solution to this conflict. You know who's saying that? They've been saying it 
every head of Mossad, every head of Shin Bey, the FBI, every head of Secret Service, every prime minister in Israel, you know, when Robin and even Sharon, who were both generals, hawks, decided that we need some kind of a different solution. For Robin, it was a unilateral withdrawal for Gaza, for, yep. sorry, for Sharon. For Robin, it was like making a peace agreement with a Palestinian that I don't think it was ever meant to give them sovereignty, but it was meant to give them some kind of dignity. Uh, yeah. And it was supposed to lead to more negotiation, more things. But again, it's, it's, it's the whole idea that you can cage millions of people, that they will take it lying down, that you can, you know, take any hope any future, any prospect, any dignity, their freedom, their basic rights, and and this, they will not be radicalized. Palestinians were the most secular people in the region, John. The most secular, the most educated. That's right. right. For Palestinians to, for for Hamas to be birthed out of that, which is just to remind everybody, Hamas was birthed in the 80s, in the late 80s, 87, 88. That means Palestinians, for many years before this, for many years, decades of occupation, they never were radicalized, Correct. but they were hoping and waiting for something else. Then you produce this outcome, which is a Palestinian authority that, yes, not perfect, it has all its issues, that recognized Israel, that cooperated with Israel. And that's when Netanyahu decided, oh, my God, these people undermine my project to power, exactly. to cling to power. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, they they thought, well, the PLO is making too much progress, so let's let's get behind Hamas. The former head of IDF strategic planning, Shlomo Brahm, said it is absurd to hope that Israel can indefinitely contain with its military might and security services millions of Palestinians who claim the right to self-determination and a free, normal life. Rula, obviously, Mahmoud Abbas isn't even really a factor in this anymore. Is there a leadership that can emerge uh, if Hamas is toppled in some way? Is there a force that's assembled in in Palestine that can begin to step forward and and represent a nonviolent way forward or at least some kind of progress? Because I've said for a long time, for decades, the next Gandhi is going to come from this part of the world. I just don't know if it's going to be from the Palestine side or the Israeli side. But is there hope that should a power vacuum be created in the region that some Palestinian authority can step forward? And would Abbas be a part of that? We have the people. We have the people both in Israel and Palestine, John. We have the people. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of all my friends and colleagues and, and allies in Israel and Palestine. I know where their heart is. Today, I'm an Aldi, the head of the joint list in the Knesset, the Arab joint list and Arab Israeli politicians. He went to visit the victims. Netanyahu didn't visit the victims or their families. The guy went to visit the victims. He's, he's, a, he's a Palestinian Israeli man from Haifa. Uh, you know, a secular uh, uh, with a family that Muslim and Christian who who speaks Hebrew better than he speaks Arabic. We have the leadership. We need to empower them. And the international community bear a huge responsibility in this moment because you don't let your, your friends drive while they're, you know, drunk. You actually call them and tell them, listen, <laughs> my friend, I love you. I want you to survive. I want you to live. I, I can't, I, I'm not going to give you a bigger car so you can drive the car into the wall. I'm going to give you a car to protect yourself, but I'm going to ask you to stop drinking. I'm going to ask you to go and rethink what you're doing. And I think we need to do this kind of tough love with Israel. We need to tell them the truth. We need to tell them the truth that we've been giving them unconditional aid regardless, you know, what they yeah. the policies 
that now are destroying livelihood, future, and, and rendering extremists both population. Both population. When I see people like Ben Veer, who the army, he's a minister, a security minister. The army thought he was too extreme to enroll him, yet Netanyahu put him in government. And he's mm. the guy that wants a private militia. His Some of his advisors burned alive families in the West Bank, and now they are uh, under home arrest, and people are cheering them up. I mean, when I hear genocidal, you know, s- singing around my family home in East Jerusalem, where people live peacefully for centuries, people telling us that we need to die, that we need all to be killed, civilians, women, elderly women during the Israeli march telling us that we need to die and be killed. The genocidal rhetoric is as such scares me because I know what's coming now is going to be a bloodbath, a slaughterhouse, and I know nobody, no one wins because those images will start circulating in the wider world. And Israel has the sympathy of the world, rightly so in this moment. But wait one one or two or three weeks. I don't want to jeopardize our future in the name of vengeance. It's just what happened in America. You're right. And... You know, we, the disinformation, Rula, um, has been choking me from Staggering. people in the right wing claiming about Donald Trump's pet project, the Abraham Accords, which was not a peace deal. It was yeah. between three countries that were not at war. It was three wealthy pro-Western Never. countries that have tourism economies to help them. It did nothing for Palestine. Um, yes. To the disinformation we've been seeing, you know, the, the Israeli press is beginning to talk about. A lot of these stories about the beheaded babies are not confirmed. Um, we're hearing Israeli no, denied, uh, say denied by the, the Israeli militaries. Yeah, and these denied these stories by about the Israeli military. The story about the cut open pregnant woman is actually something that was done in the Lebanon massacre in 1982, but it's been word for word just yes. plagiarized and said it happened here. No yes. one's denying the atrocities that were committed by Hamas, and no one's forgiving yes. them. But it yes. seems like the disinformation is the greatest weapon to get the public to go along with a further futile murderous military solution that doesn't exist there is no military solution here they're just trying to get the public behind more violence so you know the the vice president of the european parliament tweeted that babies were beheaded and i saw the tweet and i saw friends of mine who are europeans and americans tweeting all kind of claims from rape to tweet and i thought yeah. wait one second what is happening here i understand the emotions are high and people and, are and like, babies were killed ba- ba- babies we need were to killed be, ba- of course were were, killed. atrocities yeah. were committed nobody's denying that and it's exactly. disgusting and horrific but we need to be there's now the creation of uh the use of propaganda to dehumanize and carry mass slaughter because what's coming next, many people will dismiss it like, well, that happened. And I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my colleagues, my colleagues, beloved colleagues, our colleagues tweeting, well, you know, when this happens, the Nazis, we had to bomb the Nazis, you know, at the certain points. They're comparing Palestinians to Nazis. And yeah. that scares me the most because I know that people fought Hamas inside Gaza. I know activists who were tortured by Hamas. I know people who... So to, to conflate all, you know, two million Palestinians with the hundred thousand Hamas, uh, you know, fighters and, and, and terrorists scares me because that means create now the atmosphere for genocide to take place. These are this is how genocide takes place. When you look at Rwanda, how did it start? They rape women and they kill our people. 
When you look at Bosnia, same thing. They kill women and they, they kill children. Again, exactly. we have to understand that we're creating the condition by disseminating this information, we're creating the condition for genocide. I'm not saying that, but history is saying that. And, yes. and we need to be aware because we will look back in two, three weeks and most of these names for the scholars who are will study this genocide that is pending, will look back at all these people who disseminated these information and these people will be responsible because they will have blood on their hand. Rula, I don't want to sound naive or quaint, but what is giving you hope at this point? Two things. Um, I look at moments of darkness in our human history and how we rose from those moments. Uh, I look at the Sahwa or, or the moment where we had the reduction of violence in Iraq, where even Iraqis themselves turn on Abu Musab al-Zarqawi and, and others. And I look at that, it's just give people hope, give them perspective and future. They can help you find solutions. But if that's absent from the table, I don't know what will happen. I just want to tell you, you know, I have family in, in, in Israel and Palestine, and I have cousins who've been working in the hospital. There are nurses who've been taking care of the, you know, the injured and one of my cousins called me and she said, you know, she heard people saying, after she took care of them for 17 hours nonstop, saying, we need to kill all these Arabs. My oh. cousin, who's an Arab, Palestinian, turned towards her and she said, I just want to tell you that we are not all Hamas. When you, I just took care of people for 17 hours and you're calling to kill people like myself. So the woman froze and she said no i meant hamas i didn't mean people like you i know you're a good person but i think these palestinians i mean again i i have another cousin that is you know and and, and a sister of people who now go out dressed like ethiopians because they fear for their lives we say our goodbyes every day because we don't know what will happen we don't know if somebody will take advantage of this moment to carry out attacks against the palestinian community inside Israel and inside the West Bank and other places. What gives me hope, what gives me hope is speaking with people like you. What gives me hope are the people that want to keep our humanity alive. What gives me hope people that can cling to the principle of international law and morality, even in those moments of darkness. And I, 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 I plea with all our colleagues to remember, to remember in this moment what terrorists want, they want us to become barbarian like they are. They want us to descend and justify and endorse mass violence. This is what we need to avoid in this moment. So being here with you, I hope the voice, our voice collectively can reach them and can make them think. There's no atrocity that justify another. What Hamas did is a disgusting act of terrorism and Anna. And I hope they bring them before the international court. I hope they really defeat them militarily. But what I hope also, that we stay human Rula in our Rula. response. Rula, I have always uh, appreciated your voice and you have always been a uh, cherished friend of this show. Thank you so much for joining us. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? At Rula Jibreal on Twitter and uh, on Instagram. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure to see you again, and I hope the next time we speak, it's under better circumstances. We'll be right back. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fuglesang. This is SiriusXM Progress. Our thanks to Rula Jabril. Let's get back to the phones. Franklin in Brooklyn, you've been waiting on hold for so long, and we are so grateful for you. Welcome. You're on SiriusXM. How are you doing, sir? Good, sir. How are you? Um, not too bad. Um, I appreciate your show, and I appreciate the information that you are providing us. Um, one thing I like to ask the, the, the um, your, your everyone is that, do you remember two weeks before, at least a week before this, um, this situation occurred in, in the Middle East? Yes, we sir. had a public broadcast, emergency public broadcast out of yes. nowhere. Well, they, I, no, we knew it was coming. We knew it, they, they, they announced it was coming. We knew it was coming, but go ahead. Yeah, we knew it was coming, but I don't even recall that situate uh, a phone broadcast of that magnitude um, occurring. I remember when I was young, they used to have TV um, emergency broadcasts around 10 o'clock yeah. at night, yeah. stuff like that, but not, not in, on the phone. If you could, not on the phone. Well, we didn't have cell phones when we were kids. Huh? We didn't have cell phones when we were kids. Yeah, we didn't have cell phones. Correct. We had TVs, and that's when, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock, or they had emergency broadcast. But but my point to you is that um, I'm not not understanding that the, um, that process has ever been done before in that manner and then all of a sudden this situation occurred um that saturday um regarding um what hamas did to the uh what the to the jewish um people right Um, right i just find it to be a little peculiar i don't want to be a conspiracy theorist I just find well, it to be a little peculiar. I mean, there were a lot of there were there were a lot of conspiracy theories about this. People said that it was going to activate viruses in you, that it was going to turn us all into zombies. There were a lot of very silly yeah. rumors going around. Um, but Correct. in this case, this was just a national emergency alert. 
on the 4th, this was, and it was uh, issued by FEMA. It was broadcast nationwide on, to all cell phone users, and they said it was just a test of the emergency alert system. No one has um, has gotten in any trouble for it that we know of. They announced it might pose a risk to women and children in abusive homes that had hidden phones, but no one turned into zombies. No one died. Um, it, it came and went really quick. And, you know, we Definitely. now have heard reports that Hamas was planning this unholy atrocity of a terrorist attack for two years. So I, I don't think the two events are related, but I bet you can find someone on the Internet who will try to convince you they were. Correct. Well, um, as far as Hamas or what they have done, it was a, a, a definitely um, a sad situation, a very sad situation. But you have to understand that this situation between Palestine and Israel, it's almost as if the Palestinian people are being, the, are, are, are basically the world is saying that they, in essence, uh, put the Jews, unfortunately, in those um, concentration um, camps. But it wasn't the Jews. It, was it wasn't the, the Palestinians. Yeah, it was the Germans. Palestinians, yeah, yeah, it was the yeah. Germans. I mean, that, that's what led to the creation of the Israeli state. <laughs> correct. Correct. And England helped. And the United yeah. Nations helped. Yeah. And, and the U.S. My, to Harry my, Truman my helped. Question, right. And my question to the Jewish community is, okay, you have your Jewish state, but why put these people in concentration camps? I just don't understand no. that part. Why well, put I mean, in an open prison? I think it's more I, I would use the term open air prison more than I would use a concentration camp. But it's true. What happens when the most persecuted minority in history suddenly has a minority living within their midst? And that has been the struggle for over 50 years. And I don't believe there's any military solution to what we've seen. Thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. Chris and Thea, thank you. Uh, what a great show we had tonight. We'll be back again for some more tomorrow. This is Sirius XM Progress. Peace. <laughs>